0: Let's go ahead and open in prayer, and we'll be in Genesis 3. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to open your word. We thank you for what you are going to show us and help us to be able to see and to comprehend what it is that you would want us to see from this message. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 3, verse 22. And remember, we've been talking about Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. They ate the fruit of the... Uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we talked about that it was, we don't know what kind of fruit it was. It was just a fruit. Uh, so don't, don't uh, get into this thought that it was an apple, which is an, an American thing. The, the uh, Jews think it was a pomegranate. Other places pick other different fruits, but it was a fruit. That's all we know about it was that it was a fruit. Chapter 3, verse 22 And the Lord said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life to eat and to live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of the Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So today, I want to kind of talk about who is the us that he's talking about in in this verse. And when we were talking about the creation of man, we did talk a little bit about this. But we're going to talk today about the Trinity. And this is a topic and I tell people whenever I teach this we're gonna teach you what the Bible says about the Trinity and you're not gonna understand the Trinity any better after we get done talking about it than you did before <laughs> why because the Trinity is a concept that we as humans cannot truly comprehend it is beyond our, our thinking It's beyond our comprehension and we want it to be <laughs> because if we could understand everything there was about God our God would be too small, and the Trinity is one of those concepts that we look at and we say, "The Bible teaches the Trinity," and we don't truly understand the, the the Trinity. What is the Trinity? Well, first off, people are going to tell you, "Well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible," and they are absolutely correct. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, was one of the first ones who used that term Trinity. And that was back around 200 A.D., 150, 200 A.D. So, so when people tell you that the tr- Trinity is not in the Bible, they are absolutely correct. But the teaching of the Trinity is. And so we look at the definition of the Trinity as one essence in three persons. And that's the simple one. I didn't want to give you the long-winded, <laughs> long-winded answer. And so we want to kind of look at the three, one essence in three persons because we teach that there is one God. Just as the Jews have taught, the Bible very clearly teaches there is one God. But this God is revealed in three individual distinct people. And that would be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get down in the verses, but all of them are called God. All right? So we get many people that will accuse us of you Christians have three gods. Okay? This is the Mormon view, and it is the Muslim view. Well, you worship three gods. You can't, they can't all three be God and still be one. And that's one of the things we get accused of frequently. Well, you've got three gods, and we know that there's only one God. And this is something, this is why I say it's very hard to teach this. It's very hard to understand it. Now, there's other groups that say, well, we have one God, but he expresses himself in three different ways. Now he expresses himself as the father he gives strength through the spirit and they deny that they are individual distinct people and This is something we have to deal with because that is a false teaching because when Jesus was baptized as one of our greatest Examples he came up out of the water the spirit descended in a visual format of the of the dove and a voice from heaven came and said This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased so you have all three individuals at the same time <laughs> being seen. And so and this is this is really one of the things that most people when they try to figure out the Trinity they kind of think that well there's the father and sometimes he's a son and sometimes he's a spirit that is a false teaching from the Bible. And so we I'm trying to cover some of these because maybe some of you are caught up in these these false teachings we want to try to bring up what the Bible says. And this is why it's very hard because this is something we cannot understand. And we want to be able to be able to see this. They are equal, they are individual. And we saw in in the baptism that all three are present at the same moment. And this is something we want to be able to look at. And again, it's way beyond our our comprehension. We'll never understand it and that's why I tell people When we teach it, you won't understand it any better than when we start. (laughs) Because all I'm going to do is show you what the Bible says. This is one of those things you have to accept by faith. There's one God, and they're all three the same God, the same person. And we want to be very careful because the Father is not Jesus, and Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, and they're not. The Holy Spirit isn't Jesus or the Father, and Jesus isn't the Father. And that's one area where they go and they go, well, they're all just one and this is how they show up. And we wanna be careful with that because that's what most Christians kind of believe. Well, they're all just the same person. No, they're very distinct individuals. And we all can get into this idea of all different ways that people try to show you the Holy Spirit. They'll go, well, look at an egg. It's three, it's a shell, a white and a yolk. Well, that's a good example of when it's whole. As Soon as you break it though, you can never put them back together, back into their unity. Uh, people will look at, you know, water. It can be ice, liquid, or steam, but it can't be all three at one time, which the, whole, which the Trinity is all three at the same time, all, all the time. You know, sometimes people will look at it and say, well, look at our, us as people. We're body, soul, and spirit. And that's fine, but we can't separate our component parts. So I want to show you, these are things that people will look at, but none of them completely can hold what the Trinity is. Probably the best one I've seen was somebody talked about a pocket knife that had a, that had a knife, uh, a corkscrew and a, and a screwdriver. And so you could take each part, you could pull each part out, but it's still not quite the same because they're not totally individual. They're still part of the one always. So this is one of these things that we're going to look at we're going to try to understand it and it's going to be just understood that this is something you're going to have to accept by faith because you're never going to understand it the Trinity is a concept that's hard to explain because we can't understand it we just look at the Bible and say this is what the Bible says we know there's only one God and this is told to us all through the scriptures okay uh, verse that I kind of I should have marked these this morning Galatians 2:20, or excuse me Colossians 2:20, not Galatians how about 2 9 2 9 wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the heaven things under heaven things in the earth and things under the earth and things that should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and so we see this um, idea of one God uh, that He was the Creator. Isaiah chapter forty-two. I know this one is better. I should have went there first. Can't read my own writing. Forty-three ten. You are my witness, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, neither shall there be after me. So God says he was the only one. He was eternal. He was before. In uh, the Ten Commandments, we're told you shall have no other gods before me. And it's kind of an interesting word that God gives us. He says over and over, there's one God. One God. And this is this is why when we start teaching about the Trinity, people get confused. And you know, there are people that actually believe we have three gods, and they're all they're all one. They they are the same. They've been eternally co co-linked. And we've talked about this when Jesus and the Father and the Spirit got together to decide to create man. Before anybody was around, they were just, they, the three of them were together. <laughs> and we'll look at the verses, and they were discussing you know, when we create man, they're going to sin, and what are we going to do? And we've talked about how there was a plan from the moment the man was created that when he failed, not if he failed, but when he failed, because God already knew he was going to fall, and by the way, knew exactly the day and the moment and everything else that he would fall, that the plan was already in place for the Savior to come, become a man, die on this earth. And that was his son that he was sending. And his son agreed to the plan because they were co-equal. And this is something we always have to remember. Sometimes people will think, well, you've got the father... And then you've got the son who is subordinate to God and then you have got the Holy Spirit who's subordinate to all of them. No, we're going to look at the verses. They are equal in authority. Now they are submitted to the father. He has the, the leadership place. And remember, we spent a, a whole lesson on submission is not inferior. Submission is that you're allowing somebody else to make the decisions. And, and when we were in Ephesians, we did a whole lesson on this submission uh, word. And then we looked at the fact that Jesus, when he was born, was submitted to Mary and Joseph as his father. Can you imagine that? The son of God, God himself submitted to a human, human being. Now, you want to talk about, you know, inferiority or superiority. That was quite an interesting, interesting uh, thought. The God of the universe is su- sub- in submitting to imperfect human beings as his parents. <laughs> you know, So whenever you start thinking the submission is a bad word, remember it's not. Okay, it's not a a problem. The Bible talks about each one of them, the Holy Spirit, God and the Son, having, they speak, they think, they have will, they act on their own, they can be grieved, they have emotion. All of them are talked about being the creator. All of them are talked about being God. And we're going to look at some of these verses. But I'm trying to lay down the foundation so we understand these uh, this pieces of information. All of them are used by the pronoun he. Anytime that they're using descriptions of any part of them, it's he. Now, one thing that gets me, really drives me crazy is when people speak of the Holy Spirit as an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. it he is God. And he is a personality listed in the scriptures as uh, in the masculine uh, statement. So we wanna just be careful of these little things because we want to be very careful. And we're gonna look at some of these uh, verses. I'm gonna just flip through them because you might wanna just write them down. In Philippians 1, verses one through two, no, verse two. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that God the Father is called God. John 1, this is a very strong proof verse of Jesus being, being called the God. Verse 1, and then we're going to jump all the way down to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see here, Jesus is called God. And there's many others. I mean, I'm just picking, I and mean, if we tried to cover every single verse with each one of these individuals is called God, we'd be here until 3, 4, 5 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> and we're not going to stay here that long. <laughs> so in um, Romans 8 verse 9 but you are not in the flesh but the Spirit if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you now if any man being have not the Spirit of Christ he is none of his so we see the Spirit of God and this we want to be careful when we see Spirit of God it is not separating God into spirit and the spirit Uh, God from his position as Father and the Spirit. Also, when you read the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, when you read angel of the Lord, you can substitute Jesus in there because the angel of the Lord accepts worship. And no angel ever accepts worship. When Abraham met the angel of the Lord, telling him about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the birth birth of Isaac, he made a sacrifice and if you remember it was accepted and the angel of the Lord ascended on the smoke. Whenever we see worship happening, because the first thing when you hear, when people bow down to an angel, the first thing is they say, stand up, I am a servant like you, alright. So when you read angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, plug in Jesus, so it's, it's what we call Christophanes. it's a pre, pre-incarnate picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus was the one that would have walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He would have been the one that met Joshua just before the big battle and said, "I've called you." He's the one that that uh, was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, he would have been the one that helped shut the lions' mouths with Daniel. He would, have, you know, all these pictures of Jesus from those pre-incarnate positions. That, and I believe that he was also Melchizedek, who met Abraham as he left the battle. And that one's people have disagreed on um, Isaiah 64 verse 8 but now O Lord you are our father and we are the clay you are the potter and we are the work of your hand be not wroth, O Lord. Remember, your iniquities are, are forever. Behold, we are, behold, see, we beseech you that you, we are your people. So we see the God, the Lord, as creator. And the interesting thing when you look at the word God in Genesis chapter 1, every one of those references are Elohim, which we talked about, if you remember the difference about Elohim. Elohim in Hebrew is a single is a plural word that means a single God. So right in their own language, you have the picture of the Trinity, even though it's not brought very strongly out, but God, plural, who is one, created. So this is a very interesting place to be. And again, we're going to go back to Uh, Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 17. Who in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creation for, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and are in in the earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by him were all things created and we look at this is who is in the image of the invisible father is Jesus Jesus and there's other verses that say that Jesus is the one who created everything he held everything together and yet we're told that God the Father created everything so we see this whole this whole process in the book of Job, verse thirty-three, or chapter thirty-three, verse four. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. So Job is talking about the Spirit being his creation. His Creator and so again we, we look at these and say what have we got we've got three individuals all being given the same different different individuals given the same job they were all together they've always been one and again the only time that we had a separation between the Father Son and the Holy Spirit was at the cross when Jesus became sin and the Father for the first time in all of eternity turned his back on his son and that was the first time the Trinity had ever been separated. And that was for a very short period, and why? Because he became sin. And God could not have fellowship with sin. And this is what we looked at. We're gonna look at the indwelling, First Chronicles. Excuse me, First Corinthians. 2 Corinthians six sixteen. 16. By pureness, by knowledge, and long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love unfeigned. 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The Father dwells in us. This is this is something that we kind of forget. We all think about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And, you know, usually that's the first thing we think about. Uh, the Holy Spirit. We're going to go back to Galatians, chapter one, verse twenty-seven. And to him, and to whom God would make known. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among us Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ dwells in us. And we could have used use 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone who answers, I will come in and sup. That was Jesus speaking. And then we look at John 14. Verse 17. Even the spirit of truth with whom the world cannot receive because it see sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you." Do you really grab hold of this? When we become a Christian, the entire Trinity dwells within us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says, the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells within the Lord. He dwells in us. He fills us. He knows us and lives with us. We are his temple, and every part of God dwells within us. So we want to be careful how we, how we try to divide up the complete view of the Trinity. The omniscience of him, we're going to go to 1 John, And as I said, these are just a sampling. If you really want to do a study on it, there's lots and lots and lots of verses that you can look at. 320, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. God knows all things. And we've talked a lot about this verse and I want to expand upon this. How many times do we believe what Satan tells us? That we are totally worthless, there's nothing good in us. And you know what? That's a fact. Okay, it is a fact that we are worthless. Why? Because we are sinners. But the truth is that Jesus has covered us with his blood. He's taken our sin away and he has clothed us with his righteousness. So Satan comes along with facts about how terrible we are and all the bad stuff we've done. But the truth is that's not how God sees us. We need to start understanding truth. The truth is when we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he lives in us and he has clothed us with his righteousness and God sees us as perfect. Satan gives us a whole bunch of things that are actually been hidden under the blood. And while they are technically a true fact, they're not true. They're not a true statement because it is not a fact anymore because it is covered in the blood. We as Christians are saints. God sees us as perfect. How many times do we live in a totally defeated life because we're buying into the law lies that Satan says that God sees you as worthless? That is not how he sees us. He has adopted us into his family. He has placed us in his family. He has given us all riches in, in spiritual places. He has given us the power to be victorious. He has crucified the flesh and the sin thereof. And he has buried the sins that we have committed under the blood. How defeated do you want to live? Or do you want to claim the victory that God has given you? We are victorious in Christ. We can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. That includes be successful in temptation because we allow God to be the one inside us going to the door and saying, okay, Satan, you're not welcome here. But how many times do we carve out niches in our life to say, I like this sin, I don't want to give it up. And we live totally defeated life in some area by our choice. Because I have chosen to live defeated in that, life, in that part of my life. And I hear all the time, the world is real good at teaching us how to, how to excuse this thing. This is just the way I am. This is the way I've always been. I have a disease. I can't help myself. Yeah, you know, my, my father and my mother, my grandfather, my great grandfather, they were all this way. So this is the way I am. We come in with all kinds of lies and acceptance of these things. And God is saying, quit living that way. You are in a new family. We have been adopted. We've been taken out of the the slave pits and brought right into the kingdom of God into his family. And we are no longer slaves and worthless. We are princes and princesses in the royal family. That should affect the way we live when it comes to making decisions before God. We are no longer worthless in his eyes. We've been put into the family. Can you imagine a prince or a princess putting on rags every morning and, and, and going out and going down to the slums and just hanging around because they think they don't have anything? That wouldn't happen. Yet we try to do that in our own life so often. Live in the defeat of who we think we are because Satan has done a good job lying to us. All right, back to back to omniscience. <laughs> we have the father, John 16. Verse 30. And Jesus answered him, Do you now believe? Actually, this one, doesn't it? Oh, verse 32. Behold, the hour comes, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And this still isn't what it wanted. But anyway, we know the verses where Jesus answered, you know, answered the scribes and Pharisees, and so often it said, because he knew their thoughts. He knew, he knew what they were planning. And so he, he was omniscient. He knew what was going on. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. But God hath revealed unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what a man knows... For what man knows the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. The spirit of God knows all things. And I've got a lot more here but we talk about the spirit's omniscience, his omnipresence. We talk about Jesus in the same same manner. All the attributes of God are given to the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. So I just want to bring this out. We want to be careful the Trinity is not a huge idea but I want to try to help us understand when we talk about the Trinity because if you do any witnessing especially to other religions they're gonna they're gonna come at you about the Trinity if you talk to a Muslim they really truly will get after you about believing that God, Jesus is God and how could God die on a cross and and pay for sins you know they, they they really have a hard time with this and they go we and they will say we worship three gods which they allows them to be superior because they have one God. The Jews Jews have the same kind of concept that we believe in three gods. Mormons, well, Mormonism is a polytheistic uh, religion anyway if you, know, if you know it. It believes in m- many gods. Uh, your ultimate goal in Mormonism is to be good enough to have your own planet and be the god of your own planet. Uh, so they, they believe in polytheism anyway. So we want to be careful when we talk to people. We need to know what we believe. We need to know why we believe it. Jesus is God God is the only one that could have come to this earth and paid for the sins of man and God decided even before he created us that he was going to do this. the Holy Spirit does come and his main job is to get to bring people to the, to the Jesus and the Father and then he empowers us to live life but all of them live within us. Jesus comes in us the Father dwells in us we want to get to this place where we understand this belief on that we have and because it starts right from the beginning we we talked about it in Genesis 3 on several occasions let us make man in our image we need to get man lest he raise out his hand and grab the tree of tree of life and become like us an eternal being that's living in sin can you imagine what it would have been like to be living in sin have a body that's dying and be living for eternity in a physical way which the tree of life would have done God gave a great grace to the man by keeping him from touching the tree of life. And we want to be careful how we look at these things because God has always been revealed in this way. And he's always been there to be indwelling and he always shows us his love. And we've talked about this. If you've been sitting in any of my classes on the Old Testament, so often people will say that the God of the New Testament is different from the God of the Old Testament. Well, you know, I don't see that when I read either Testament. I see a God who is very cruel to Priscilla and Aquila, to uh, not Priscilla and Aquila, but uh, yeah, the two that lied to the Holy Spirit and tried to make the church think they gave, huh? Ananias and Sapphira. I knew I had the wrong name when I was saying Ananias and Sapphira, and they go, hey God, uh, you people, we, we, get, we sold our property and here's all the money. They were struck dead. Sounds a lot like the God of the Old Testament that struck people dead for lying to God. But you know, the grace of God is so prevalent in the, in the Old Testament. Protected Noah from destruction when he was going to destroy the whole world. Told Abraham about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Took Lot out. Of, out. And you look at Lot, he was not all that righteous, even though he's claimed to be the righteous, no, righteous Lot. He was not that great a man, and yet God protected him. The grace that God gives in the Old Testament is amazing. David commits commits adultery, which is a capital offense under the law. He commits murder, which is a capital offense under the law. And God says, I'm gonna forgive you, but there's there's gonna be consequences. We see over and over God's loving mercy, even in the Old Testament. Do not believe that there's two separate gods that are revealed differently. They're very much the same. They've always been the same, always will be the same. Even when the church is taken out and the tribulation period comes for 7 years, the whole purpose of the tribulation is to draw people to God. It's not just to be mean and nasty and and be cruel to people, it is to draw them to him so that they will be spending eternity with him. So we want to be very careful. There aren't multiple gods. There's not multiple individuals within the God Godhead. They have subjection to one another, but they are equal. They are all powerful. They're all spoken of as being creator. They're all spoken of as knowing everything and being everywhere. They have personality. They can be grieved. And we want to be able to look at these things because the salvation issue is that God made a plan. (laughs) He made a plan that man was going to sin and that sin was going to need to be paid, paid off and that meant death eternal death, Jesus came to pay that sin so that we could be saved and go to heaven by accepting that gift. And that's very simple salvation. We keep going over this. I want to make sure people understand the gospel message is simple. You can give the gospel message to somebody in about 30 seconds. It's not hard to do. And when you're talking to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, then you go, do you want to know Jesus? All you have to do is confess you're a sinner. You deserve punishment. You accept the sacrifice of Jesus. And if they say that prayer, they're a Christian, if they believe it. The key is to believe, and that means to put your trust in. So we're going to close in prayer and sing a couple songs. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at the truth of the Trinity. Help us to understand what the Trinity is, and help us to understand more. In your Son's name, amen.